Hi, everybody, and welcome to Robcast number six. Yeah, I know, six. It feels like we just got started and we're already at six. Amazing. I have in my hands, can you hear that? Can you hear that? A stack of papers. And uh, I printed out questions that you've sent me. And you sent me, just in the first couple of weeks, you just sent me a giant stack of questions. Some of the questions are a half page long. Some of them are very funny. Some of them are totally heartbreaking. Um, you are you are amazing. Um, I can feel, some of you, I can feel your heart beating in your question, sort of sharing with me where you're coming from, what you're struggling with, um, what you want to talk about. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So um, let's jump into a few of these and see where it takes us. First one here, and I was going to arrange this by topics or themes or subject, but I wasn't able, just didn't make any sense to do it that way. So here's the first question. The first question is from Tyler, um, and Tyler asks about his religious community, and he talks about feeling like it's getting comfortable with the status quo, and they're falling into the same pitfalls that you criticize, that they criticize, without being able to do much about it. So Tyler's question is about church, going to church versus doing church, um, what works, what hasn't worked. Uh, okay, first off, Tyler, I'm going to zero right in on that line where you wrote the feeling like you're criticizing something without being able to do much about it. Anytime you have a sense of powerlessness, like you can't do much about it, you have to ask yourself, is that true? Or can you do something about it? And here's why. The church started in houses. People started gathering in houses. And they would eat a meal together. They would share their burdens with each other. They would pray for each other. They would tell their stories. They had a bread and wine on the table, which they would take and, and to remember Christ as the good gift whose body is broken and blood is poured out for the healing of the world. They would put the bread and wine on the table because the bread and wine is holy because all of life is holy. And so you would gather together to be reminded of the sacred, holy nature of all of life. The revolution that turned everything upside down started in homes. They didn't have large buildings. They didn't have large budgets. They didn't have professional staff. They didn't have parking lots, they didn't have clever videos, and they didn't have websites. People in homes. So whenever people ask me about the church and they're frustrated with how big or institutional or corporate or denominational or whatever it is, the thing that changed the world were people sharing their lives with each other in their homes, neighborhoods, whatever cities, however you say it, workplaces. That's where things happen. Oh, and by the way, I speak from personal experience. Do you know what people who work in large churches do when they get in meetings? They usually talk about how to make the church smaller, how to make it more intimate, how to make it more personal, how to get people connected in each other's homes and neighborhoods and workplaces. So, Tyler, start something. Start something in your house, your apartment, your patio, your porch, your front lawn. Put some bread and wine on the table. Uh, read a book. Discuss something. Share your stories. Start the thing that you want to be a part of. That's how revolutions begin. Somebody doesn't live with a sense of passive sort of, I guess I'm just supposed to 
go with this, but they refuse to settle and they start the thing that they want to be a part of. So make a list of everything that you want to be a part of, everything that would draw you in, that would light your heart on fire, that would give you a mission, and then do that. Um, Okay, another uh, question here. Wow, a couple of the questions, you're even so clever, um, I can't really figure out what you're saying. Here's one from Susan. How do you figure out what your thing in life is? That's actually a short question, amazing. Susan, what a great question. How do you figure out what your thing in life is? Well, first off, we all have to eat and pay rent and mortgage and put gas in the car, so let's take all of the how are you gonna work and pay the bills, let's set that aside because that's a separate, you know what I mean? Let's just take that issue and put that over to the side and then let's talk about your thing in life. First off, I would say this, listen to your life. Susan, because it's been speaking to you the whole time. Look back over your life. Look for the thread. Look for the base note. Look for the theme. Look for the connections. When is it that you felt most alive? When is it and what were you doing when you felt most peace? When is it and what were you doing when you felt the most satisfaction? When is it and what were you doing when you felt like whatever it was mattered? Like it was bigger than you. Like what you were doing was like an echo of a deeper, larger, wider, bigger sound. Look back across your life. Look for key moments. And if you do this in quiet and contemplation... It's stunning how you'll, how you'll begin to see patterns, how you'll begin to see themes, how some of the same things will come up again and again. Secondly, there is one way that people go about figuring out what they're supposed to do, and that is what do you love to do? What is it that when you do it, you lose track of time? What is it that when you do it, you think I could do this forever? What is it that you love to do? And that can be very powerful. Second way, though, would be to ask what angers you. What is it that when you see it, you think somebody should do something about that? What is it? Is it an injustice? Is it a lack? Is it a basic human need that's not being met? Is it something that's wrong that needs to be fixed? What is it that when you see it, you're filled with a sense of like divine anger, like somebody should fix that? The question is, are you that somebody? It's this one thing to talk about, you know, what you love, and I just love to do this, this is my passion, et cetera. But then there's also, well, what fills you with anger? And not like a petty sort of, ooh, somebody hurt my feelings anger, but like divine sort of injustice sort of anger, like that's not right. Maybe it's your job, your calling, your invitation to do something about that. And then love, anger. Thirdly, curiosity. What vision of the future makes you most curious? What is it that you would most that, that you will most want to know more about? L- literally, a lot of my work is driven by curiosity. I am I write that book because <laughs> I find that topic, subject, theme, whatever it is, fascinating, and I have to make it because I have to see what it's like if I make it. Um, this 
Robcast actually started with me wondering, what if I just plugged a microphone into my computer and just did short talk things? Um, what would that be? So, so sometimes the answer to what your thing is is simply, what are you curious about? Follow your curiosity. And then one more thought. The Japanese have a word, akigai, I-K-I-G-A-I. And akigai is, uh, translates that which gets you up in the morning. But the basic idea is, what is it that gets you up in the morning? Now, there's the very, I mean, if you have kids or we have to get to work or maybe you have multiple jobs because you have huge debt or whatever, however that works, there is that sort of. But then there is also the key guy, like that sense of this thing that gets me up in the morning at a deep soul spirit level. What is it that you wake up going, I get to do this for another day? Um and, and one of the ways is, what is it that is exhausting but also exhilarating? And somewhere in there, um, perhaps, is the thing that is your thing in life. Um, and, uh, okay, and then this one is, uh, this one's Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Um between your teachings, I guess this, this is written to me, between your teachings, other books on the topic, podcasts like The Liturgists that Science Mike is a part of and Just Life Experience, I've found a whole new way of looking at life and Christianity. All right. I long for the community that some of the more traditional church settings are for, but I can already see the eye rolling from my potential small group as over and over again how um, I say how I don't see the Bible the same way they do. Um yeah, great question. Okay, first off, Andrew, um, some things can't be explained. You have seen something. You have tasted. You have expanded consciousness. You, you aren't where you were. You have grown. You have moved. You evolved. You have changed. And here's the deal, Andrew. Once you see, you can't unsee. Once you taste, you can't untaste. Each new stage of growth and maturity, each new stage of consciousness always brings with it greater freedom, greater complexity, and greater inclusion. Growth, maturity, evolution, each new stage of consciousness brings with it greater freedom, greater inclusion, and greater complexity. And here's the problem. If you have a good friend and they haven't seen what you've seen and they haven't tasted what you've tasted, you can't explain it. And actually, you might become very, very frustrated trying to explain it. So as my wife, Kristen, often says, you can't take people where they don't want to go. And I would say this, the present system works for them. The rules, the mindset, the doctrine, whatever it is, it works for them. We generally don't grow. We generally don't move to later stages of consciousness without great pain or experiences in which our current systems, labels, and categories simply don't work anymore. Um, suffering or we have simply tasted something and we realize this is the way forward. So I imagine you have a sense of loneliness. Um, I imagine you have a sense of like the rug got pulled out from under you. You're more alive than ever. 
And yet, if you try and share this extraordinary excitement with certain people, they think you're crazy. They think you're a heretic. They think you've gone off the rails. They question your theology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So here's the deal. Whenever you find somebody who's on the same path you are on, when you have that click, when you have that resonance, when you have that, oh man, they're, they're going through the same thing, that is a treasured, valuable friend. And it's really, really important that you pursue those relationships. Is that making sense? Um, and then, um, would you ever consider helping for join? Um, oh, people in cities. Oh yeah, people have asked if there's some way for us to connect people in cities. Uh, I have nothing that I know how to. I I don't have any system for doing that right now. But maybe down the road we'll figure something else along um, those lines. Now. Uh, yeah. Oh, this one's Jim. Jim is, uh, oh yeah, Jim is a pastor and he does everything. And he says, um, my yes is very robust. Um, my yes by nature makes it hard to say no because it has to get done. Well, uh, maybe you should challenge that. Um, because maybe it all can't get done by a person. See, the question isn't what can you do for six weeks? The question is what can you do for six months? The question is what can you do for six years? We can do lots of things for a short period of time and then we hit the wall. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You work and work and work and work and go and go and go and go and it worked for a while and then you hit the wall. So the better question is, and Jim, I love your question. You say, I love the concept of saying of a yes, so you can say a no, but wrestling with how to work in my comp, but you're wrestling with it. Good. Here's what I, here's, here's the point. The tension of working through what to say yes to and what to say no to, especially if you have a job where there's all of the stuff that has to get done, that tension is a gift. You'll always be wrestling with this tension. That means that you're actually alive to these issues. The question is, what is sustainable? So Jim, this is my question for you, because you asked me a question. What is a pace of life that not only will you survive and make it in this role for the next five years, but what is the pace of life that you can do that in five years you'll be younger, you'll be fresher, you'll be more filled with life? You can do anything for six months, but the real question is, how do you set up a sustainable pace? And sometimes you need to challenge assumptions. Built into your question is the assumption that all this stuff needs to get done and it needs to get done by you. Challenge that assumption. Does it all need to get done? Or does it all need to get done by you? Maybe your job is to train up and raise up and empower other people who can do some of this so that you can be around a decade from now an even better version of the gym we all know and love nice you like the way i wrap that one up okay oh and this is a great one this question jim uh this is uh brian who says he'll be waiting with bated ears for my response to his question um oh yeah this one was gut-wrenching um Brian has had some profound disappointment, very, very personal. He sort of gives the details here, but let me just say very, very, very personal and painful letdown. Um, 
and he says, but I'm, I'm still angry. I'm angry at God. Um, I, my faith is mature, but I still continue to struggle with my anger. Yeah. Um, I think I'm blaming God because I have no one else to blame. I'm using God as my punching bag. I, I know this is useless, but what else can I do with this anger? And how can I be free of it? Okay, Brian, first off, thank you for... Wow, what a question. You have experienced profound pain and agony and tragedy in your life, and you're angry with God for it. Here's the problem with the God scorecard, and that is the feeling that you have when life didn't go your way, and so you have this list of things that didn't go the way that you wanted, and you're angry with God. So now, of course, we're not talking about Brian. We're talking about all of this. Here's the problem. If you're going to play that game, first off, I don't even believe in that idea of God anyway, but nevertheless, if you have this sense of like you're angry with God for something that's happened in your life, the problem is what do you do with the good? If you play the scorecard game and God is held accountable for the bad that has come your way, then what about the good? Are you breathing? Uh, Brian mentions that uh, he has an incredible wife. You have a wife. You have health. You typed me an email, so you must have electricity. Not everybody in the world has electricity. I bet you have a car. 8% of people in the world have a car. Half the world lives on less than two American dollars a day. So you are the elite of the elite. Did you have three meals today? That puts you in the elite of the elite of the elite in the world. Do you see what I mean? If we do that God gets held responsible for all the bad, then what about all the good? Because that list is really, really long. So here's what I'm saying, Brian. Don't do the scorecard thing. Don't tally up the points. Because if you're going to hold God responsible for the bad, then what do you do with all the good? Do you owe because of the good? That game will never, ever work. The question is this. You have experienced pain and agony. It will make you bitter or it will make you better. It will make you bitter or it will make you better. All pain and suffering is an invitation to all of us to dig in our heels and regress or to open up our heart and assume and trust that even in this, spirit is moving to create something new. What I find interesting, the Genesis poem, the Bible begins with a poem, and it's a poem about darkness and chaos and water, and spirit moves in and over the water to create something new. So it's in the darkness, sadness, chaos, and confusion that spirit works to make something new. So here's what I want you to do, Brian, listening listening to the Robcast right now. I want you to take your arms. I want you to stretch them out as far as possible. And then I want you to move your arms back just to touch so that your chest comes forward. And by this sounds like an aerobics video. The rest of you can do the same thing. Unless, of course, Brian, you are driving or mowing the lawn or handling a chainsaw. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stretch out your arms. I want you to push your chest a little forward, and I want you to invite God to give you a new vision. 
there's this great, this uh, South American Indians have this phrase, as a human being, you make room in yourself for the immensities of the universe. I have no idea what's come, what will come out of this, but I have sat with so many people in your exact situation and they chose to open themselves up at the exact moment when everything within them wanted to close. And for all of you besides Brian who are listening, whenever you suffer, whenever life disappoints you, everything within you wants to close, correct? Picture your fist closing in. Picture your arms wrapping around yourself to bring your shoulders together and make yourself more tight, more protected, less vulnerable. Everything within you wants to close down. At that moment, if you can summon the strength, and if you're at the end of your strength, even better, because now you really need some strength outside of yourself. Open yourself up and say, this hurts, this is bloody, this is awful. Ask spirit, ask God, ask whoever you talk to in these situations to show you the next thing, the new thing. And Lamont has this great line that when you cry enough, it waters the ground at your feet so that something new can grow. So Brian, don't do the scorecard thing. Um, let all that go. And you may have to let, I'll be honest here, we, we need to get to the bottom of this. You may need to let that view of God go. That God may have to die in this process so that you can be reborn with a better conception of the divine, a divine who's present in this pain and agony, working even now to bring about something new. And I will look forward to you emailing me with some extraordinary stories. Now, here's one from, from uh, uh, where was, there was one from, oh yeah, there's one from Lindsay. There was a great one from Lindsay about parenting. And uh, where is it on this stack? Lindsay had this great question about teaching her kids, but not teaching. Oh, she says she's um, been f paralyzed with the fear that she'll get it wrong. Um, how do you teach your kids about faith um, with, without this paralyzing fear that you'll get it wrong? Great question. First off, I don't give parenting advice because my kids are still in the home, and I'm very suspicious of people who give all sorts of parenting advice when um, their own kids haven't you know, moved out of the house yet. But I do have some observations. <laughs> Do you like how I got out of that one? Um, that that distinction that somehow makes me feel better. Um, first off, anytime that you have fear, fear should always tell you something. And this is for everybody listening, not just you, Lindsay. Fear is boring. Fear has only one line of dialogue, right? What does fear always say? No, no, no. Hey, let's hear something new from fear. No, no. No, no. If fear was a character in a movie, it would come into every scene and just go, no, no. So whenever you, if you're paralyzed with fear, remember fear is always boring. Fear has no imagination and fear will get you nowhere. So like that little light on your dashboard that rings with fear, that blinks with fear, um, pay attention to it because fear is like, is, is like the divine way of telling you you're not going down the right road here. Turn around quickly, turn around quickly. Secondly, one observation would simply be, I think your kids know if you enjoy them. I know sometimes kids can be annoying, they can be crazy, and they can drive you completely mental, but kids know if you enjoy them. Oftentimes people talk about their responsibility is to give their kids a moral compass, impulse control, to give them standards and morals and absolutes. Fantastic. I love it. It's great. 
Um, I wonder if that's your second job is to raise your kids. I wonder if your first job is simply to enjoy them. Because if you're a kid, let's all be honest, you know if your parents enjoy you. It does something to you deep in your bones if you know that your parents enjoy you. And then I would say, Lindsay, you get to explore the world together with your kids. You get to be their mom and you get to explore the world with them. You get to go on an adventure together. So whatever you're learning, you talk about it naturally with them because they're sharing with you their experiences. So I often, and there's a couple questions here from parents who are asking about what to teach your kids, or one person quoted Kristen and I and how we've, we say we want to give our kids as little as possible to unlearn. Um, and oftentimes the question from parents is, how do I teach my kids? Here's the thing. You're already teaching your kids. You're already teaching them. You're teaching them all the time. Sometimes you use words, but you're already teaching your kids. Think about all of us, our parents. We all have memories of how our parents actually lived in the world. If your interest is in passing faith to your kids, the best thing you can do is pursue your own health, wholeness, and vitality. Because when a kid's parent is healthy and thriving, every kid knows that. The greatest gift you can give your kids is your own health. And then secondly, your vulnerability is one of the most powerful things for your kids. If you struggle with something, tell them. If you're disappointed with something, tell them. Let them see you figure out your life. Let them see what works for you because they know whether it works for you or not. The problem with a lot of people is their parents pushed all this religion at them, but that religion didn't actually work for their parents and didn't shape or transform their parents, and the kid knew it. Why would I do your thing? You're not smoking what you're selling. Or insert other metaphor there if you'd like. So the question is, what's working for you? Your own pursuit of your own joy and courage and vitality. Your kids are watching you. If there's a community, if there's a practice, if there's a meditation, if there's a book, if there's something that is lighting you up and inspiring you and helping you, they will see it. They will watch you. They're watching you all the time. And that is the best teaching you can possibly give them. All right, then, we got through a few of the questions. Um, once again, questions at robbell.com, and uh, we'll just keep tackling this in future Robcasts, and eventually, of course, we'll, we'll deal with every question in the world, and we'll be all sorted out. Until then, grace and peace be with you, my friends.